As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at the Athletic, coming at you with a post-All-Star Weekend special edition. Uh, You have no idea how hard it was to deliver that intro because the face on the computer screen in front of me is a man by the name of Jeff Zilgit from USA Today. And for six years, Jeff and I had a podcast by a different name. So Jeff, it was very hard to not say welcome to the A to Z NBA from A to Z podcast from our old USA Today era. Uh, Jay-Z, what's up, brother? How are you? I'm good, Sam. We'll reinvent it uh, for a one-day only pod, a tampering pod special. I like it. I like it. Uh, Here's what's so awesome about having you on this week obviously always love connecting with you that usa today chapter remains an absolute highlight in my career and, and you made it that way uh we were together at all-star weekend uh it's always good seeing you at these big tentpole events uh and and it just seemed perfect because not only is it, is it great to go around the league with you and we're going to do that on this week's pod we're going to talk mvp race we're going to talk about which teams can actually win the title from the east from the west and and maybe dig into some of the numbers a little bit and just, you know, spin things forward on the home stretch of this season. Uh, but over the weekend, there was a, a pretty heartwarming special moment that uh, that you were nice enough to come on here and reflect on a bit. Um, you have covered LeBron James for the vast majority of his career. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you started covering the league. It, was it 05? 05, 08? Uh, yeah, a couple years after that, Sam. Oh, wait, okay. You, you know, I, I look, I'll, I'll look at it. I was trying to look it up. My first interview with LeBron was in his Cavs 1.0 days uh, and just how far away that was is I remember LeBron telling me, you know, you asked that question, what's something uh, that people don't know about you that you would like to know? And and when he started to speak, I could see Cavs PR who's sitting in on this one-on-one. They're about ready to lose their minds. And LeBron says he doesn't mind when people come up to him when he's, you know, at a restaurant having dinner. Well, as we know, even though you could see what LeBron was about to become, I didn't even think he had won an MVP yet. Sam, maybe he had. But he certainly isn't the LeBron of today. And as you well know, he can barely go out to dinner. Yeah, um, no question. He can go out with his teammates. They get a, a a private room. But he just can't go sit in the main dining area anymore. That's how long ago it was. It was a long time ago. And and, and just I don't want to assume that, that the listeners happen to see what happened. It did go viral, but I don't know what that means these days, to be honest with you. It's got a lot of attention. So let me set the scene for the listeners. We are at All-Star Weekend. And it's funny, two years in a row, LeBron has done this where for, for a variety of reasons, he does not make or attend the Saturday media All-Star availability where these uh, All-Star players typically talk to the media either on a podium or in what's called a mix zone where there's a table and reporters everywhere and it's chaotic. And LeBron did not take part in either of those on Saturday. So for the second year in a row, he ends up doing a Sunday media availability. Um, And to be honest, I mean, do I love it when media rules get broken? No, it's LeBron James. They've been doing this 20 years. And I actually think it's created uh, kind of another thing on Sunday that is, 
pretty high profile as far as his press conference. So he addresses the media on Sunday and, and he kind of has the entire stage to himself, so to speak. Um, and it's well attended. I took a picture from the back of the presser, Jeff, and it was just, you know, just wall to wall reporters. People wanting to hear all things LeBron. Um, so the press conference commences, hits on a variety of topics. Uh, we get to the back end of the press conference and you get called on. You're sitting in the very back row. Uh, I think we have the audio. We're going to go ahead and play it. But I, the context, it is worth sharing in case folks are confused about why this got a lot of attention. And, and I did write about it on our site. But again, in, in case you missed it, Jeff has uh, since 2015 is when he first was diagnosed with colon cancer. And Jeff, you've been fighting that thing like a son of a bitch for a long time. And you, you've been incredible with your spirit. And thankfully, here we are talking about basketball and, and you continue you know, to do what you got to do to stay healthy. Um, but it has been a journey and it's been a fight and LeBron knows about it. And about three years ago, he tweeted some support for you after you had surgery. And again, because you covered him for a long time, you guys clearly have a relationship. He clearly respects you. Um, and so at the back end of the presser, when you casually ask your basketball question, this is what happens. The way the game is played today, in what circumstances is that going to happen? Um, first of all, it's fucking great to see you. Yeah. It's so great to see you, Jeff. Love this. And the fact that you got the last question is even greater. You tried to hide in the back. I, I love that as well. Love you, man. Um, wow, it's great to see you. Um, to your question, the league is... All right, Jeffrey. So we both were there. Uh, I'm sitting one row ahead of you. And, you know, the smile on my face, I'm sure, was pretty big just because I know everything you've been through. Uh, shout out to Arash Markazi, uh, who did a nice job on social media videotaping the exchange and importantly uh, panning the camera to get your face and you had a big smile on your face um my favorite part i got to tell and i've told you this privately was that man from a journalistic standpoint here you got this heartwarming moment you know lebron is telling you that he's he's, he's so fucking glad to see you pardon the, the language kids and 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 you just decide hey I can't lose now. I'm going to go for the jugular. I'm going to go for the tough question. And the one that the rest of us, honestly, were a little timid to ask, which is what the hell is going to happen in your future? He gave you a pretty good answer about this summer. But uh, I I've been talking too much. Please tell me what that moment meant for you and, and how it hit when he decided to do what he did. I, I think it speaks to a couple things, Sam. And you and I and others who do this were able to be critical of people um, when they have mistakes or they don't play well or, you know, th their message or how they're operating, you may not agree with. LeBron's savvy enough to understand all of that. And he's also savvy enough to know who covers him, who's around, uh, who's been around. Um, and, you know, does he read every single word that we all write? No. Is he aware of what we do? Um, and, and sometimes does it pop up on his radar? Absolutely. And does he know when we ask the questions we do, what we plan on writing about? He gets all that. And he, he may be involved in his own media companies, but he certainly understands what might be referred to as traditional media. And he has a, a understanding the importance of that. And so, you know, I, look, is it me personally, Sam? I, I necessarily don't know that. But for those who have been around him a long time, he probably would do the same um, for someone else. Um, it, as well. But it also goes to show that he's paying attention to what's going on. Um, he recognizes the struggle. And, and then Sam, look, I'm probably uh, extrapolating here a little bit is, you know, when I first was diagnosed in 2015 and he sees someone who's around, you know, fairly often, but then maybe can't be around as often. And then you don't know if that person's going to be around for how much longer? And, and so, like, I would just, you know, reckon to say that that probably hit him in a little bit different way um, in, in understanding, you know, how fragile and fleeting this all can be. And so he he's paid attention and, you know, recognized when I had, you know, surgery. It's almost coming up on a year, Sam, when, when I had my stomach surgery. Um, he recognized it then. And, and what's interesting to me, too, and this is we're sort of, you know, going behind the scenes is, you know, I saw him at the conference finals last year between Denver 
and the Lakers, although there wasn't a lot of time. You can tell that LeBron was in playoff mode at that point because, you know, he had seen me, but there wasn't that same recognition that he delivered on Sunday at All-Star Game. And so, you know, obviously he's had, a, you know, a little time reflecting. As I've watched the video, Sam, I, I think the, the sincerity of it really, I think, shines through at the very end um, of it. Uh, you, you know, when he's trying to, you know, pause and give some reflection um, in everything. Um, and, and so, you know, look, Sam, I will say this, and you know this as well, and I don't want to get into a, I won't get into an Oscar speech here because I know that I would ultimately leave out a bunch of names and there are so many names that need to be mentioned. But I don't get from wherever I was to where I am today without a ton of people near and far in my corner uh, to one degree or another. And and I think that's what, you know, happened on Sunday. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's just, you know, not LeBron. Um, Sam, it's seeing all my reporter friends that I see, getting to hang out with them. Um, you know, that's what makes uh, so much of this worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, I second that, uh, you know, to the nth degree. Uh, it's funny, before we got on the pod, uh, producer Dave DeFore was asking about All-Star Weekend as he talked about hanging in L.A. at the beach and the sunny uh, weather that, that Dave had over the weekend. Indy was freezing. Uh, those of us coming from the West Coast had to battle the time change. Uh, I was wiped, Jeff. I was wiped. But when you get home, uh, what you just kind of hit on is certainly what makes it worth it, which is, you know, seeing our colleagues uh, trying to be, uh, you know, humble enough and, and mindful enough to realize that we're lucky to do what we do. And and that event, even with all its flaws, uh, you know, is, is something that uh, not everybody gets to cover. Uh, it was a neat moment. I, I My last question on that front for you is, uh, the only part that I can relate to is that, generally speaking, um, it is never comfortable when part of our personal lives gets absolutely brought into our work lives. And I do wonder, you know, you seem to to be really composed when, you know, Arash's camera came to you. It seemed like you just enjoyed the moment. Uh, was there any kind of internal, uh, you know, tugging of like, oh, boy, this is now my my business out in the streets on, on a pretty massive stage? Well, a, a couple of things to that point, Sam, uh, is I was a tad embarrassed because number one, I was not expecting it. I, you know, asked my normal question, introduced myself as everyone else does. Uh, as a quick note, I wasn't sitting in the back uh, for any other reason than, you know, Sam, when we got to the arena four hours before tip off, um, it, it was packed in there. Right. It, like you were just a row in front of me. There weren't many um, places to sit. The next point of that, Sam, it is... I'm fairly open with it. I don't tweet about it uh, all the time or anything like that. But like, you know, my, my situation is, you know, fairly public. My wife and I have written about it on a blog that anyone, you know, can access. I haven't updated it. Uh, it Feel a little... free to hype it if you would like, if you want to share it with the masses. Yeah. It, yeah. It, and so to that end, um, you know, it, I always feel this way too, Sam, is you know, I can make my donations to various cancer foundations and hospitals, but my my amount is a drop in the bucket compared to these people who donate millions. But where I can really help is relaying my experience and helping people navigate uh, the maze that is oncology, finding the right facilities, finding the right doctors, um, you know, knowing the different kinds of treatments. I don't know all of this, but I can help point you in the right direction. And it's a little bit of the pay it forward mentality that's been shared um, with me. And so that's why I don't mind a lot of this, you know, being public because I can help someone. And I have, you would be amazed at, you know, um, NBA front office people who will um, drop my name and say, well, hey, give Jeff a call because he's been through X, Y, and Z. Right. And, you know, I'm not going to name those folks uh, in that, but that happens. I think the one thing, Sam, that was really wild is, you know, we have our own little social media channels, but to get caught up in LeBron's social media world, that's a whole nother ball game. The, the mentions that a little on fire lately. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and the amount of people who see it near and far. Hey, at least know, you were there for a good reason. I've been there for a bad reason in the past. I can relate a little bit. You know, <laughs> to, to have millions and millions and millions of followers, that you know, that that's beyond my comprehension. Uh, and to see that and to have to live that life 
like he does. Um, you know, I, I understand why, why people don't read the comments. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, no doubt. All right, listen, here's the best part. Uh, I'm looking at you, you know, looking vibrant, big smile on your face, and, and uh, things are good enough that, that we are here to talk hoops. So let's go ahead and, and pivot a little bit and talk about uh, the association. Um, the, you know, the, the parity in the league this year is front and center. Uh, the Celtics out in front. Um, you know, a lot of good teams. And it's funny because Adam Silver at All-Star Weekend was asked about the parity um, and the concept of why are you so convinced that, that parity is the way to go when uh, the, the information really historically tells us that that uh, dynasties make a lot of money for the NBA and, and you know, fans are engaged uh, almost more so when there, there are a few special elite teams that are separating themselves from the pack all the time. Uh, but this is not that era. The Denver Nuggets remain one of the contenders, but nobody is, uh, is, is kind of running the other way from them in terms of how dominant they are. Um, they're, they're just one of the many teams in the mix. Um, but let's look at it a little bit here from an East-West purview, and I want your opinion as we, uh, as we look ahead here on you know kind of separating the, the teams that you actually could see raising the Larry O'Brien Trophy and the ones they couldn't. In the East, Jeff, if you had to really pin down how many teams you think could, uh, could win the whole thing, how, how long is that list? That, that's a little bit shorter to me, Sam. And, and to acknowledge your point on parity, you know, Adam also answers to maybe 26 other owners who don't fit into those four teams you're talking about. They want a chance to win it, uh, even if it maybe means a little less money for the league. So so he's trying to balance um, a couple things there. I think this is, I don't know how many times we'll say this, Sam, over the years, but this is Boston's best chance with the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Perry. Um I know they got to the finals a couple you of years ago. You better get Porzingis in that first sentence, buddy. <laughs> I, I will. I'll throw Porzingis. I'll throw Derek White. Yeah. I'll throw Holiday. Yeah, man. That's starting five in basketball. Um, and they added a little depth, obviously, with Xavier Tilden at the trade deadline, which I think they needed to do. And we'll see how that plays out. Remember, Sam, Denver won last year with a pretty short bench. Right. Uh, you know, all things considered. Um. So I, Boston's head and shoulders. I have a hard time seeing anyone in the East, but I am interested in a couple teams. Cleveland being one of them. They might be the hottest team in the league, Sam, that's no it's talking about uh, on the regular. I think they're 18-2 heading into the All-Star break. Um, they've been phenomenal. Um, they get Darius Garland back and um, Evan Mobley just before the um, All-Star break. And so that's starting to turn for them a little bit. Um, I with some other teams, Sam, I'm just real not- quick. Let's. I, I like that you went there. Let me let me interrupt you real quick and, and let's drill down on the Cavs because you have got years and years and years of institutional knowledge about that organization. So to your point, eighteen and two coming out of the break. Um, it's they were eighteen and fifteen before then, and we may have talked about this and to tie this back into All Star Weekend. Uh, we had a wonderful dinner um, the first night there with uh, my athletic colleague Joe Varden, Howard Beck from the Ringer. Uh, and yourself and we were talking to Joe and I specifically talking about the Cavs and the fact that early on uh, man there was a lot of bad chatter coming out of Cleveland you know pressure on J.B. Bickerstaff Donovan Mitchell uh, in his future are just being front and center uh, and the idea you know that he can be up next year and and what does that mean for the Cavs it felt like the wheels were falling off a little bit and because it is a small market um, even with all their LeBron success from the past and because Donovan uh, similarly to Damian Lillard and we'll get to the Bucks you know you have a star player who had one team in mind when he finally decided to leave his first team you know this being Utah for Donovan and, and Cleveland was not his preferred team and he made it work once he got there um, the Knicks were the one that we thought he you know he was going to go to so all of that in mind it is you know the Cavs have got to be ecstatic right now that they finally push this thing in a good direction. But how do you see that that whole situation and where it might be going? It, it, it's so, Sam, it's a little bit almost what you were talking about when we were asking Adam about the parody and the, and I won't get too deep into collective bargaining and, and salary cap stuff, but, but this idea that there are restrictions on what the highest spending teams can do uh, in terms of deals, trades, signings, uh, the, the, as we move ahead, the luxury tax for the highest spenders is increasing as well. And so Cleveland, I believe, Sam, is starting to think that taking all those things into account and how they performed this year, 
will have some impact on what Donovan Mitchell decides to do. And it might be in his best interest to sign that big deal with Cleveland and, and then maybe see how things play out in terms of, you know, what we see players ask for a trade at a certain point. And I'm not saying Donovan is going to do that with Cleveland. Um, but it's an option, though. Yeah, right. It, it is certainly an option. And then, Sam, you know, it, winning like this, and if they get to the conference finals, potentially beyond, you know, Cleveland feels good about where they're heading. I think internally, they like the way Donovan has fit in. They like the way that he gets along with his teammates. And so they feel at the very least they've created an atmosphere for him that is conducive for him to sign. And whether or not it happens, you know, we certainly don't know, but they like the things they're doing. Uh, to try to get him to stay there. Um, and, and I'm not sure, Sam, about the Knicks. Look, they, they, you know, Julius Randle not being on the court yet with the trades that they've made, I, I need to see them healthy before I go in that direction. I think we keep waiting for the Heat to show up, Sam. Right. But I, I don't know if they're going to. Right. Um, might not be the year where we see the playoff Heat. And, and so to the opponent that Boston faces in the conference finals I'm not sure yet. Milwaukee and Philadelphia, I thought, were teams that would be there. They're dealing with their own stuff, whether it's Embiid's injury or the sort of dynamic that's going on with Doc, Giannis, and Damian. Yeah, I mean, on the Philly side, you know, reports coming out of Philly that, that Joel, you know, very well could be available at the late regular season and then have some sort of playoff buildup. That would be a game changer. They obviously added Buddy Hill at the deadline, um, which I think was a bit overlooked, that shooting you know, could be impactful for them. Milwaukee, you know, and I spent a fair amount of the weekend talking at least about Milwaukee. You know, um, our Bucks beat writer Eric Name had a, a really good piece with Giannis yesterday, a pretty candid perspective on all things Bucks and, and like the way you phrase it, that they're just working through some things. They, man, Jeff, they've gone from being this like workmanlike team with Mike Budenholzer at the top and, you know, Giannis and Giannis mode all the time um, doing his thing. But then it was Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, but the pecking order was clear. The culture was clear. Now, my goodness, they, you know, between Giannis trying to navigate it, Dame being Dame, Doc, who, you know, Doc is just a different profile of head coach. Uh, and he's been viral for about two days now for different statements that he's made. Um, right. Yeah, they just, they, I, I gave Eric a hard time. Like, buddy, you, you might as well cover the Lakers right now. Like, you, you got a lot of attention on your team, but they still have talent and we'll see if they can navigate it. Um, yeah, I'm with you on the Knicks. I mean, as far as getting drilling down on the question of, of how many teams could win the whole thing, you know, I don't know what number you want to put on it. I think mine, as I look at it here, you know, I, I'm, it's like two and a half, you know what I mean? Like Cleveland could shock the world and I'm going to put them in there because the data says they, they could do it. Uh, and Boston has lost in the finals before. So I kind of feel like until they do it, they don't get that championship treatment. Um, you know, could the Bucks figure it out? I, I doubt they will to that, you know, as far as winning the whole thing. Um, you know, and, and the Knicks fans can come at me, but as great as they've been, uh, you know, I don't see them getting all the way through. So I'm, I'm going to go with the, like a soft three, if that makes sense. It, it, it does, Sam. And the, uh, again, I think Philly being healthy, it's not the case. Milwaukee not having, I don't want to call it dysfunction um, quite yet, Sam, but, you know, there's obviously something odd going on there and so I'm with you on that but then even if like again to narrow it down I, I just really have a hard time seeing someone beat Boston I mean that they're you know doing it across uh, all fronts offensively defensively so you got one you got a list of one is that what I'm hearing yeah and look I think Joe Missoula is improved as a coach um for a variety of reasons um you know maybe getting some help on his bench but also just having one more year experience doing this and sure. I that's going to pay off for the Celtics. All right. Let's swing it over to the West, my friend. Um, we got Minnesota up top as we sit here recording on Thursday morning, uh, a game and a half ahead of OKC. My gosh, that's just not something we thought we were going to say coming into this season. Uh, the Clippers are two games back. Uh, Nuggets, obviously defending champs, three games back. And then you've got the gap. you got Phoenix in the fifth spot, six games back, New Orleans at six, and on down the line from there. Uh, but as it pertains to the title discussion, uh, how many West teams uh, can you actually, if you squint hard enough, see winning the whole thing? I, I can expand that uh, a little bit more on the Western Conference, Sam, because I've been saying since the beginning that it is deep, it is talented. You know, I, I could see four legit teams 
um, winning it. Um, you know, maybe five, maybe maybe take one of those first four, Sam. Although, look, I will say that I love Oklahoma City. I think their arrival is maybe a year or two early um, for NBA title contention, or at least a year too early than what we were expecting. Um, on that front, uh, I always find a difficult team of Sam, Sam for a team that has not gone deep into the playoffs to all of a sudden show up and get to the NBA Finals with a group of guys who haven't done it. Minnesota, I think, is a little bit different. Carl Anthony Towns has a little bit of playoff experience, but you have the Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert factor that can help out a, a little bit right there with, with the Timberwolves. And uh, from that next group, Sam, and I think we're going to get to this. And that was uh, what you and I were chatting about beforehand. Would I be surprised at what Phoenix does? Do I want to see what Dallas does with the Daniel Gafford, PJ Washington, how much that helps out, uh, especially on the defensive end? Um, you know, the Warriors and the Lakers, Sam, like we're, we're going to get into that. But like those teams, like could they make a run to the finals? I don't know about that. But could they make a run to the conference finals? That seems logical. Yep, fair enough. All right, my list in the West. I man, I'll be honest. I think it's. I, I'm gonna go with a soft three again because Phoenix is loaded, and um, you know they've got some size issues, and those will probably trip them up. But um, I just have a hard time. It's not a matter of don't bet against Kevin Durant. He's just, but they they still do have Kevin Durant. They have Devin Booker who's playing at a very high level. But I got I got Nuggets. Clippers and Suns, to be honest, and and I guess I'm officially throwing shade at Minnesota and OKC because um, as good as they've been, uh, Minnesota's just never been there before. Uh, their defense is, is very good, and in today's era, uh, it's not a lot of teams that can say that. Um, I think they've answered a lot of questions about the size uh, in terms of playing so big that you force you know the other side to respond to you. And I mean, there is a world that exists where Rudy Gobert has his revenge tour, right? Because his entire Really, the battering of his PR, if that makes sense, began with the series against uh, the Clippers in the bubble and, you know, the Terrence Mann chapter when Rudy, uh, at least perception-wise, was was getting exposed at the worst possible time. Um, but the makeup of this Timberwolves defense is different. And Rudy, to his credit, if you actually watch him, I mean, that guy is, is able to get out on the perimeter and do just enough to not, you know, be a, a a net negative for his squad. I mean, honestly, I don't know how you feel. We're not going to talk about all the awards today, but but uh, as you know, as of now, like I'd be fine with Rudy being Defensive Player of the Year again, which would put him in a pretty uh, rarefied air historically. But but uh, I still don't necessarily see uh, Minnesota as as champs. Yeah, I, I don't either, Sam. I, I think they have a lot of work to do in, in terms of that. Again, the the experience that Gobert has and Kylie, I think, can give them. A little bit of an edge, but the one thing, a couple pointers, real quick, Sam. Yes, you talk. How many people you talked to over the weekend think the Clippers are playing in the conference finals? Right. There's a lot. Oh yeah. That uh, from players to executives to you know TV analysts, and then that part, Sam. Offense was such a big topic over the weekend in a variety of ways. Whether it's points per game, offensive rating, numbers going up, players scoring 60, 70 in a game, and we always want to believe and say defense wins championships. And I, I, you do, you can't let a team have a layup line. I do believe that. But the other thing that emerged, Sam, and you heard maybe from LeBron and others, is that good offense does be good defense. And we are at a period in the NBA where there is an immense amount of offensive talent um, at the highest level that's really, really difficult to stop. And, and so that's where, you know, Minnesota worries me a little bit on that front because sometimes you do just have to outscore someone. Yeah, no and, doubt. And I don't know if they can do that, Sam. And so, yeah, Clippers, Nuggets, I don't think anyone, you know, would balk at that uh, right there. It is a little bit more difficult based on the history. You know, the same what you said about betting against KD. Is it hard to bet against Steph? Yes. Is it hard to bet against LeBron? Uh, but we're two-thirds away through the season, Sam. We've seen a little body of work here. And we're, we're just not sure if that can happen for those guys. Well, and what I thought you were going to say, to be honest, is is the the other guy that, that is should be really tough to bet against right now is the Joker. Um, you know, they people kind of forget, I think, they weren't – the Nuggets were not dominant last regular season. Um, I think what we learned is they have a pretty good playoff formula. Like I actually wrote something recently and had a long conversation with Jamal Murray 
about how yet again he was not an all-star you know you could argue that he's the best uh non-all-star of all time really there's you know a list of guys that you look at it and jamal's already accomplished a lot but um we saw what he could do in the playoffs when he i forget the numbers 26 five and seven i think it was like what he did for the entire postseason run um the only other guys who had done it were named lebron james and michael jordan and and guys of that ilk i think it was only four total although as an aside it was wild lebron has done that five times four times and you know in the playoffs nobody else had done it more than once point being jamal is we all know playoff jamal can be elite and special we know what Jokic can do yes they lost you know bruce brown and jeff green um but you know and they didn't play well going into the break they got smoked by the kings they had another bad loss uh but you know denver's going to be right there there's a part of me sam that not that denver doesn't care about a regular season game but once you win it i think you have a better sense of what it means to be playing better basketball toward the end of the regular season, but right. certainly April, May, and they have a great sense of that. I do have, you mentioned it, Sam, about the loss of Jeff Green, Bruce Brown. I, I they, they were critical to that bench. Um, and, you know, are, are we going to get that from them um, this year? You know, I think that's going to be the key this final, you know, seven weeks of the regular season is they continue to bolster the bench and give those guys some minutes that can help them out. Yep, fair enough. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 that's linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn sales navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash NBA show 23 and get started. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's uh, let's switch it up here, buddy, and and talk a little bit of MVP. We're we're giving folks the basics here as we, we go into the home stretch. I know we talk about these topics a lot, but it's been a few weeks. And, uh, and we don't always have you on the show in particular. So before I throw it to you, I'll say, you know, about a week ago, 10 days ago, uh, myself, like uh, a lot of folks in the industry, you know, get the old annual uh, Tim Bontemps text message uh, as he's doing. And Sam, you mean uh, every other week? <laughs> we got a different poll going on that I'm not aware of what you mean. Uh, bon Jeffs yeah. will hammer you. Yeah, no doubt he will. Uh, so he, he'll hit folks and this is his ESPN, uh, you know, annual MVP poll where he, it's always, there's a little nuance there. He's not only polling voters, uh, he's polling a a massive amount of media 
the large majority of which are voters, I think is an accurate, accurate way of saying it. I don't know. You, your face crunched a little bit. Are you not buying that part? No, I, I, I do buy it. So okay. Uh, you know, does he have all 100 nailed down? No, because he may not know who gets the vote in New York a certain year. You know, the the markets, the L.A. market, you know, they only may get one vote for MVP. So he doesn't know who's getting it quite yet. But he's got a good idea um, of the folks who vote for it. So he's getting a solid representation is my point. Well, and I think it's got a good track record in terms of handicapping what ultimately happens. Uh, the The unique part of this particular season, obviously, is that the the you know the timing of the poll was uh, very close after Joel Embiid had uh, had officially kind of because of his injury been off track to to meet the parameters of the 65 game player uh, participation policy and so and Joel from one day to the next kind of was out of the race. Um, yeah. My five uh, as we try to decide you know what our opinions are here. I've had and I don't think I'm changing it because this is fresh enough. But I've had Joker, Shea Gilgis Alexander, number two, Giannis third, Luca fourth, and Jason Tatum fifth. I, I probably at this point, eh, I, I think I am going to change it. Um, I'm going to, you know, Giannis and Tatum, you know, being neck and neck for third is probably where I'm at. I think Tatum's got to move up the, up the chain a little bit. And before you answer, Jeff, I, I wonder your opinion. You know, I'm curious to hear where you have Tatum. And I think – He's a discussion <clears throat> in and of himself. Excuse me, because you know he's he was vocal over the weekend about uh, his belief that he should be higher on the list for MVP. And there is this era right now where, in terms of style of play, um, it's pretty tough to crack the top five uh, if you are not a playmaker, if you are not a, a high assist. You know, in addition to hitting the boards, in addition to being an elite scorer. Um, that is the thing that separates Tatum from a profile standpoint from the rest of that group. But defense obviously matters. And then you have the, you know, kind of the tougher to quantify beliefs of best player, best team, uh, and a team that is out in front. Um, so I, I think we probably need to spend a little time showing Jason that respect and, and deciding uh, where he belongs in this conversation. But but how do you see the the MVP race? Well, he's not going to be. I have him fourth, Sam. Okay. Um, but to your point, best player on the best team, two-way player. But I also think the gap between one and four is pretty narrow, Sam. On like, that team? Uh, yeah, I don't think that. Like, on that team or on the MVP list? Just on the MVP list. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So to my point is, if you if you are number four, like you're really close to number one, Sam. Like, like I don't. It's not like if you're fourth, all of a sudden we're saying you're the 150th best player in the NBA and we're not giving you, you know, any love here. And I understand that point. So I'm going to come in reverse order, Sam. And I, because of what we mentioned earlier on Milwaukee's problems, I know Giannis still performs at an MVP level. Uh, I slipped Donovan Mitchell in at number five. Okay. I have Giannis out of my top five. Okay. Right now. Then I have Tatum fourth. I went, uh, Luka Doncic, number three, Nikola Jokic, number two, and I have Shea, number one right now, Sam. Uh, and this is my one stat from Shea that I'll pop out here is you talk about all the playmaking. The guy's shooting 54% from the field, which is really, really nice considering you know he's not at the rim like a big man all the time. But this is the stat I have, Sam, before this season – just three players have had a season where they averaged at least 30 points, six assists, five rebounds, and shot at least 50% from the field. Um, you know, I think you have a Jordan, you have Curry, you have LeBron. Now, I will say two guys are doing it this year, Shea being one of them and Giannis being the other. Now I'm sitting here, you know, I'm combating myself here, <laughs> uh, I, um, having Giannis out of it, but I think team success also separates. Sure. That, and that's where you know Shea gets the nod for me. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, that's why these debates are fun. I mean, I'm looking at it. You know, team success factor. Milwaukee's 35 and 21. OKC's 37 and 17. You know, I mean, they're in the same ballpark. Um, uh, you know, I, I admittedly, uh, I, I think I am going to need to, as we get closer to voting time, really drill down on Shea's season. I, I've probably been a little slow to truly 
appreciate how special it has been. Uh, I think I've played some catch up lately looking at, you know, what he's been able to do. And then you and I both also know that one thing as voters that you, you do admittedly end up having to battle is you have this years long context of who won in the past and what your thought process was. I've said on the pod before, I think that like, I don't mind admitting that there were times when certain factors enter your mind and your thought process that probably shouldn't, which is like last year, for example, with Jokic, I, I had voted for him two times in a row and then to have this sense of like, well, you know, the the Warriors, for example, a couple of years ago in the playoffs had had just made life tough on Joker. And it seemed like what the Nuggets did at that time was not going to be nearly good enough to be championship worthy. And then you feel like you're voting for an MVP who who isn't truly among the best when it matters most. Well, and, and didn't he show me? Because the next year after I voted for Giannis and, and Embiid won it, you know, Joker was the best player on the planet. So that, you know, you have to fight back now against a little bit of like, you know, like you should not be voting for Jokic in order to, you know, like with last year in mind, you just shouldn't. It's got to be about this year. And Shea is new on the scene, um, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't win the whole thing. He's had an incredible year. Sam, I voted for Jokic last year as my number one on MVP. And so my point is, if you're going to factor in previous award winners. What about the two years prior, buddy? Uh, Jokic, Sam. Three years I, in I a row for, you voted Jokic? Oh, okay. he got my place vote. Yeah. My point going to be right here is that if you are considering that, there is a part of you that you know thinks about that for sure. But he's great enough, Sam, that he should, you know, we shouldn't be thinking about whether or not he deserves a third. He does. Like he he's that good. So we should be worried about giving him a third at the expense of someone else. He belongs in that category of guys who have come along at the right time who have been the best in the league. Um, and there was a part of me at times, Sam, where I thought uh, Jokic had to had to be better than he was the previous year. He was sort of competing against himself to, to a certain degree. And, and I've let a little bit of that thinking uh, you know, evaporate uh, as well. And to your point, what is he doing this season? And those numbers are really, really good, Sam. And I'm not going to have a problem if in this final two months or seven weeks, whatever we are, uh, that uh, Jokic, you know, moves ahead of Shea, um, or someone else does um, as well. I, I'm I'm willing to be fluid here and, and not zero in on the guy right now. Uh, with that in mind, I wonder, you know, does it? I think you already kind of answered this, but is is it on your mind at all that the prospect of voting for Jokic for a fourth consecutive season, like, does that trouble? Not trouble is the wrong word, but does that give you pause at all? I, I, I can't let it, Sam, I guess is the bottom line. I mean, is there a small degree of, of that uh, uh, potentially? So I, I think we get caught up a little bit too much in, in looking back in, in the, the 2020 um, aspect of this. And, you know, did Derrick Rose deserve to win MVP that year? Should Kobe have had more than one MVP? You know, like I think those discussions are always going to be around. And so, you know, whether it's 10, 15, 20 years from now, and if I was the one who voted Nicola for four consecutive years, um, ultimately I'll be fine with that because based on what he's done, you know, I'm not the outlier vote here, Sam. Over the course of those four years, there are lots of people who are going to vote him number one. And I just happen to do it if it turns out that way, you know, four years in a row, I don't have a problem there. Right. Good stuff. All right, my friend, as we start nearing the, the end of our chat here, I'm, I'm actually going to uh, do a little script uh, change uh, here off the cuff because we've, we've made the rounds. We've talked about the home stretch of the season. Uh, I think we're going to turn the back end of this pod into a little bit of a sports media slash uh, Jeff Zilgit celebration episode. I didn't even tell you I was going to do this, but I it's funny. I, I, I connect with young people a lot about the industry. And I think sometimes we forget that on a platform like this, people listening are probably somewhat confused about how do these individuals get in these positions and who are the people who cover leagues like the NBA. Uh, and we don't really pull that curtain back too much. So uh, if you would indulge me there and, and take me down this road in a hybrid sort of sense, I think it'd be uh, kind of meaningful to, to reflect a little bit on not only how the hell you got into this and why you think you've been able to have the kind of staying power you have, but also the stuff about your story 
that might apply to 2024? Because I think you can relate when we get asked questions by aspiring reporters and people who would like to be in these kinds of positions. Uh, the longer you do it, the, the less applicable the beginning of your story is to what's happening right now. Um, I, that's a lot for you to unpack, but you know, uh, take us through it a little bit uh, and, and share your thoughts if you don't mind. Well, look, Sam, if we're going to start at the beginning, was I a young? I was a young kid who loved to read and write. I mean, there is the very basics of it, Sam. And then after that, did I enjoy sports? I certainly did. Um, you know, my dad coached um, a little bit, so like I was around baseball and basketball a little bit. That's what I gravitated um, toward. But I, I certainly go back to just the, the fundamental sense of loving words, uh, written words, spoken words. Tell the folks where you're growing up, just to. Yeah, growing up a little south of Detroit, uh, yep. and think about that era, Sam. Of you know, newspapers, media. You know, I had two Detroit papers, and they still exist. Thankfully, the Toledo Blade was just a little south of me. Um, the Ann Arbor News, not that far away. Um, and, and again, in a different era, Sam. All these papers, uh, Saginaw News, Flint Journal, Grand Rapids Press, they all covered it the major events in the state on the weekends, uh, Michigan Wolverines, Michigan State Spartans, maybe some of the papers uh, on the west side of the state were covered Notre Dame football. You would have the Lions on Sunday. Like, you, like the, they went everywhere. And also the part of it, Sam, where, and you talk about where something that's not applicable as much in 2024 is that, you know, I sort of grew up in the era of which your first job out of college, by and large, for most people, was going to be in a smaller paper. Then you were going to work your way up to a mid-sized paper, and then you were going to maybe go to a larger paper. That doesn't need to be the case for journalism grads entering the market today. There are lots of issues within our industry, Sam, and lots of places are trying to figure them out. But the idea that you have to go work like I did in Port Huron, Michigan, which I really thought was beneficial for me, but you don't need to do that same route um, anymore, Sam. And that, that's the way you know I look at what I tell students when I speak to them. You know, that the, there's a, a different way to do this, and there are opportunities because you know I'm so old now, Sam. The internet didn't exist, right. you know, when I'm starting out, and, and so there are opportunities that exist for younger people that weren't there for me that allow them to maybe take a quicker path to where they want to go. Yeah, you're right. It's funny. A guy who comes to mind, uh, one of my young fellas, uh, that I take a ton of pride in Logan Murdoch from the ringer is a guy that, that I knew when he was 16, I think. And, and he was, uh, he like a, a young intern at the local radio station in Sacramento. And I'll never forget that, you know, Logan, he probably hate that I share this story, but he was a big Laker fan growing up. And, and so seeing the look on his face, the first time that he stood in a media scrum, with Kobe inside the visitors locker room in Sacramento and and to go from that to when he was in his early 20s as much as I love him I, I'd be lying if I didn't admit that I was kind of looking at some of his opportunities going man like we couldn't get into this this quickly in my day and it was different and and to his credit he's made the most of it created a hell of a lane has a voice um and now it's crazy to say is is in that vet status been doing this for a minute type thing um the path is different uh, the, the game has obviously changed. The industry has changed. Uh, it's funny yesterday. I don't know if you saw this, you know, JJ Reddick, who again, like doc has been viral for a couple, couple days. Cause JJ went at doc on ESPN. Um, but JJ had a separate video or a, a moment, I guess that got my attention, uh, and that speaks to coverage. And, and I would love to get your thoughts on this part of the job is he was asking the question of Stephen a that do the fans truly want us in the media to educate them? And, and listen, you and I played the game of basketball, but not at the highest levels. I think you did more than I, but you know, we know the game and, and part of the responsibility is to write in an informative kind of way about the game itself. JJ's question was, do the fans really want that? Because he had two videos on YouTube that he noticed that on one of them, when he broke down, I'm forgetting exactly what, the specific part of the game was did you you can did you see this video was it new orleans sam yes it was okay thank you it was zion williamson and the way that the pelicans had started using him as a primary ball handler uh for quite some time the last 25 games something like that 
and and it was something that like basketball wise it should be part of the Pelicans narrative and should be something that people understand. Um, but that particular video didn't, you know, had I think a hundred thousand views, something like that, which for him was on the lower end. Then the video of which, by the way, JJ, you're doing okay if that's on the lower end. <laughs> but then the video of him going at Doc uh, had gone absolutely viral and had millions. Got no worries. So yeah, then the video of him being very critical of Doc Rivers and saying that he's got this theme, years long theme of lack of accountability. You know, that's the drama that the fans gravitated to and the views were through the roof. That is that calculus and that discussion is something that you and I have talked about ad nauseum all through these years at how, you know, some fans get on us for being, you know, obsessed with the drama and the behind the scenes stuff. And, and part of me does say, and I, I do admittedly write a lot about what happens behind the scenes, but that is typically what fans want. And it's hard to strike that balance between that kind of coverage and, uh, and, and the X's and O's component. How have you navigated that part of the job? It, it's difficult, Sam, because there is the part of you that you take a look and uh, I won't uh, say the person's name out loud. Place for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I may have shared this with you. He was asking me about my coverage and why I decided to cover this and, and not cover that. And, you know, how about some more love for the Cavs? And, and so you're making these decisions here of what's going to resonate with the reader. Uh, looking at the Cavs, 18-2 and two record, the hottest team in the league, which as basketball people we love, right? Right. Story. But also, we, we can't ignore the fact that, you know, Doc got the job midseason when another guy was, what, what was Adrian Griffin's record? Was he 33 and 10 or, you know, 31 and, you know, in that ballpark, Sam? Pretty damn good. Yeah. Pretty good. And, and he's, Doc's coming in. And then, you know, we learned that Doc is sort of, you know, consulting the team and you're trying to figure all this out. And as far as accountability, look, Doc has had some really great regular seasons. Has he has a title? Yes. And has he had some flameouts with 3-1 leads? Yes. But that's on his resume, Sam, and I think it's open for discussion. You throw in the Austin Rivers component onto this and right. you know, adding some uh, gasoline to you know the fire, and you can see where this stuff all of a sudden takes off. And then it becomes part of, you know, it's in our purview to try to figure out what's going on here, how to write about it and what to write about it. But I don't think we should be, we shouldn't be ignoring the fact, Sam, that JJ's views on that doc topic is going to, you know, just really smash through anything on the basketball part of that. And, and how I navigate it, Sam, look, it's what we're fighting every day. But if someone wants a lesson from this, is is there content behind what you're writing and say? Like, is, is there something meaningful there? And, and if you want to address JJ, Doc, and Austin, and I've seen a couple people do it the past couple of days, there's way to, ways to do that, that there's something important and insightful for the reader to get. Right. And not just chasing clicks and views and and i mean that is the you and i also know the other side it's a business man it really is um you know it's funny we talk about shay as a guy who is going to get and who knows maybe wins the whole thing and gonna get mvp votes well if you're the thunder you it, from a pr media standpoint uh and listen they don't necessarily help them, their own cause all that much either you're fighting a, a an uphill battle when it comes to coverage about that particular guy because the spotlight is on the other four or five guys that you mentioned a whole lot more. Um, you know, we've, you know, we've lived that at the athletic where there's certain teams that, you know, despite the best intentions, um, the coverage just didn't take off in certain markets. Uh, it is a business. And so I know it's easy for fans to come at us and say, you know, that you shouldn't take that stuff into account. Uh, that is part of it. And you learn through the years how to have your own uh, integrity, your own profile, your own voice, um, and, and navigate those kind of treacherous waters, but uh, but but it's a pretty imperfect process. Well, there's a part of me, Sam, too, that, and you have to come to grips with, not you personally, but we come to grips with this, is that, you know, also the job still has to be meaningful as well and important and, you know, adhere to the sort of standards and style that you've gravitated toward. And here's a perfect one, and I'll get this story out at some point, 
My favorite interview this year, Sam, well, one of my favorite interviews has been with jazz coach Will Hardy. That dude's fantastic. I think he's a really good coach. He stays away from cliches, um, and, and he's insightful. He's He can be critical of himself um, and say, hey, what I was doing wasn't working. So I had to change. I had to. Ch- I, I spent all summer thinking, this is how we're going to play. And, and then they have that start, Sam, and he's like, I have to scrap all this. Right. You know, and so like that was just an enjoyable conversation, Sam. And I, I, I'm going to, you know, you have to realize that is that going to get the same amount of attention as the other story we might be talking about here? I know what the answer is, uh, but, you know, being true to yourself does matter here in the situation. It can't be all one way. It can be, it, it can be a lot of things one way, um, but it can't be all one way all the time. I agree. Uh, and two quick things for me, and I'll let you go. I know you got some travel to get to. Um, to that point, it's funny, and, and I need to respond to this individual. I haven't even, I got this note the other day uh, that did made my day, and I need to tell this person that a man by the name of Gregory Favre was a, a, a big time executive editor, I believe was the title at the time, or publisher. He was, he was, he ran the B right when I got to the Sacramento B early in my career. Uh, I did not personally know Gregory. I, he, I knew him as a larger than life figure that everybody talked about, but with a, a good reputation, um, you know, now he's retired and, and he's nice enough to send occasional notes that he's, you know, I, I, you know, essentially with that Sacramento B lineage that, that he's, you know, happy and proud of some of the stuff I've been able to do. So I had an interview with the Sabonis this year that was meaningful for me. I enjoyed our conversation. I thought it shed new light on who he was as a person, but to your point, uh, from a business metric standpoint, did that story go crazy? No, it didn't. But I get this note from Gregory that uh, where he tells me that he sent the story to a, a, a friend of his who, who he did not identify, but was a, a very successful psychologist. Uh, and that person shared it with their grandson and was teaching their grandson lessons about uh, being a competitor, being somebody who balances you know, their, their work life and their professional life and their family life. Um, just good stuff that that had a little bit of a bigger than basketball component to it uh, that made my day and and certainly you know supersedes anything when it comes to what the metrics look like so that that is part of the job uh, I'm with you there I'm gonna leave you with this Jay-Z uh, I've never really asked you this uh, two kind of questions that will tell us the tie a bow on your work life and your experience I want to know uh, and I'm putting you on the spot uh, the favorite story that you've ever written and then I want to know, uh, not your biggest regret, but like uh, something that you're willing to share about your career that uh, where you did something where you might have done it differently and learned from it and had it kind of shape, uh, you know, who you were going forward. I don't know if those two things are, are are doable as I continue to put you on the spot here, but what do you think? Yeah, the second one uh, dovetails into something you were just talking about, Sarah. Let me, uh, probably a, a Kyle Korver story I wrote some years ago, Sam. I think you and I were working together. Uh, yeah, yep, but like, you know, these are situations, Sam, where it, it, it started as something small. And then the next thing, you know, Kyle Corver is saying, here's my number, text me, and then I'm going to send you my 15 point shooting checklist. While he, and he's getting ready to leave the arena. And before he even gets from the bus takes them to the airport, they're getting ready to fly out. He has texted me his 15-point checklist, and all of a sudden, that's opening um, a, a door to a much larger story about everything that goes into Kyle Korver trying to perfect his shot in this, the pursuit of a perfect shot. And, and, and Kyle was super thoughtful, um, you know, gave me names of people I should call and talk to and everything that goes into what he does. So that part is really cool. And sure. So, Sam, you were talking about, and this is where something I regret it's usually Sam when you don't make enough phone calls or make a you know the second phone call and then someone's upset with you because you didn't do that. Um, and it probably happened early when I was covering the NBA. Uh, the union was unhappy about something, the players' union, and I wrote their story and I didn't call the NBA. It, it, you know, and was it the worst thing in the world? No, Sam. Do I hear you know the NBA? Well, you didn't call us. You didn't ask us for comment. And so yeah, all right, making that you know second call. Sometimes, but I think what happens there is let's bring it to what just happened this weekend. Now, I'm not going to go into an all star rant, but if I'm going to complain about the all star game and what needs to improve, then I better come with some kinds of solutions or thoughts on solutions. 
Um, you know, criticism is fine, Sam. It leads to ideas and solutions, and that's all good. Um, but then, can I? Do I have enough connections as someone at the NBA who I can make a phone call to and walk me through some of the steps of what could come next for them? And, and right. so, you know, knowing people, Sam's, and you know this as well as anyone, the onion is peeled back pretty deep. Um, there are lots of people you could talk to at, you know, both at the NBA headquarters and at NBA team level who can help you. But, you know, when you write that story, you know, do you have some insight that's being provided by people in the know? Right. Great stuff, my friend. This was a, a late idea. I didn't even hit you until I think Wednesday night. Uh, you're nice enough to hop on. Uh, it was fantastic seeing you over the weekend. The LeBron moment was obviously very cool. Uh, and, and we'll be uh, seeing each other a lot pretty soon here on the old playoff path. But Jay-Z, love you, man. Thank you for doing this. Uh, thanks for sharing that wisdom and sharing your story. Appreciate you. No, thanks, Sam. I, I appreciate you giving me a few minutes to talk about and talking NBA. And for those out there watching, you know, Sam and I have these conversations, uh, it, you know, uh, about MVP, about teams, about our uh, health, personal lives. Uh, so, you know, we did pull back the curtain just a little bit. Yeah, don't share everything here, man. I'm, you're making me nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this stuff happens. It does. All right, brother. Be good. Travel safe. Right. Talk soon. Later, Sam. Later, Sam.